the way that I used to advocate is through a lens of we all need to be suddenly we need to burn systems down completely like and there's like very little tolerance for people that are along different parts of their journey of learning about things and wanting to do things a different way i think that type of like angry advocacy is something that i really feel for and i used to be that type of person because i didn't know another way but after being a part of this space for so long i know that like the best way to do this is through empathy and through understanding that we're very much on individual and collective journeys what advice do you wish that you could have given to your younger self or that someone would have given you when you were younger? There are a couple of words that I wish I could say to my younger self. And if anyone else is listening to this and is struggling, I'd really like to say to you as well. And it's the fact that you are not too sensitive, you are not over-exaggerating, and you are not alone. Those are just three things that I really wish that I heard when I was younger because I just felt like everything that I was experiencing, I was just kind of making up or I was being a little bit too in my head about. What advice would you give someone who just wants to be more successful with a sense of purpose as well? How can they do that? Three sort of steps. First one is to, the next thing is to, and then the third thing is. Welcome to another episode of Success With Purpose, where we help mentor you into becoming a more successful version of yourself. We do this through giving you access to mentors you typically would never have the opportunity to connect with. We explore their journeys, their experiences, their life-changing events, their fields of expertise, and most importantly, their purpose. My name is Harry Goldberg, husband to an incredible woman, father of two amazing daughters, host interviewer and interrogator of this podcast and director and advisor and meditation teacher of Purpose Advisory. This purpose-driven project is entirely funded by Purpose Advisory, which I am a director of. We guide clients to make great life and money decisions, and we do this through a range of different services. Life vision experiences, personality, investment strategies, cash flow systems, and through teaching meditation. If you want to learn any more about any of these, link in the comments below. Now, just before we learn from yet another exceptional guest... If you find value from these conversations, please make sure to like and subscribe below, leave a review. It really does make a difference. And of course, share with someone else who's going to find value. Now, listen in, pay attention, take some notes, enjoy. Let's begin. Emily, welcome. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Okay, so I was—I I normally give an intro for guests, and for you, I was trying to work out how do I actually describe you because <laughs> you've had one of the most unique and role-filling resumes that I've ever come across. Right? <laughs> like re- you've received countless awards, including twenty-five under twenty-five and thirty under thirty, and Mental Health Advocate of the Year, Victoria's multi- Multicultural Honor Roll, uh, Innovating and Protecting Children, and a whole range of others. And then you're in a whole, you're in a you're currently active, it looks like, in a whole range of roles with a significant amount of volunteering on top of that as well. Uh, but if I had to try and describe, I'd say your primary role is uh, within your own company, Emily Unity, as a keynote speaker, workshop facilitator, consultant across your chosen fields of mental health, software engineering, and creative design, which is a pretty cool blend. So clearly, you've done a hell of a lot in a very short period of time because <laughs> you're still really young. Uh, how do you define success? Honestly, I really love that question. Um, and it really made me think a lot like, coming into this chat. I feel like success for me has really changed um, over the different spaces that I've inhabited and people that I've kind of met along the way. Um, growing up, I will kind of start with like my earlier definitions of success. Yeah, um, 
my mom is a Vietnam War refugee. My dad um, immigrated from Malaysia when he was really young as well. And I think success for them was kind of assimilating into whatever was quote unquote normal at the time. Um, you know, just kind of like appearing in Australian society, especially as someone that was like successful in say Korea, had a house, could provide and have children, that sort of stuff. Um, I think it was very like success was very tangible and it was kind of like different accolades that you could kind of have or things that you would win. Um, yeah, but like nowadays the way I define success is very not describable in any sort of sense. It's it's much more of a like you can't you can't see it. It's much more of a feeling. It's a way of like me making meaning um and helping myself as well as helping other people. I think there's kind of two separate bits that they're quite related a lot of the time. Like the more I help other people, the more I help myself. Um but I think there's success in those two different realms for me is yeah not not really definable and not visible in any sense so how would you pursue it if you can't define it at all like how will you know that you've been successful if you're defining it as helping yourself and helping others i think helping others is a lot easier to define um a lot easier to kind of track um because i can just you know ask them hey is what i did kind of working for you whether that be say in a mental health lens or whether it just be in a very personal lens um and yeah, hearing that kind of feedback and making sure that I'm helping people in the way that they want to be helped. Um, that's something that I really love. And you can only really ascertain through hearing their own experience, not me kind of interpreting their experience. Um, but as for how I'm helping myself, that's something that is honestly really difficult. Um, and I think I've picked up different tools along the way to understand that on the ad hoc basis, but it's a lot of reflection, a lot of being in the moment, um, a lot of just understanding the different ways that your mind works and the way your body works. So for me, it's about like navigating different parts of my identity experiences, whether it be like, because I'm autistic, um, like understanding my preferences around that or understanding like how my culture plays into different ways or how my gender or sexuality does. It's yeah. And those sorts of things are like, I feel like a forever ongoing journey. So mm -hmm. success in that sense will always be like, how close am I to understanding who I am today how close am I to like coming home and being present in who I am currently yeah okay so there's a sense of getting feedback from others about how you've helped them but then more intentionally not getting feedback about others about what they see of you it's more internal more reflection yes needed. definitely okay and so you've you've shared that the way that you've kind of done that is like uh, through reflection and just being more in the moment and trying to be more present whenever you're trying to come home and just kind of being more aware of how various aspects of your personality and persona show up in, in different ways. Um, do you have any specific practice practices that you use towards that? Yeah, I think it's a lot of um, unlearning, um, to be honest, because I feel like, yeah, me being at this point has, it comes with constant kind of, not just correcting, but being really aware of the way that I used to be or the spaces I used to be in, um, particularly coming from, you know, like that background that I said to you about, about like success being something that's really measurable, really tangible. And it's something that like other people perceive um, as opposed to like something that you perceive within yourself. Um, I think that's something I need to like constantly just check myself on. Um, I'd say that that's the main thing is catching myself on those things and trying to reroute it into a way that's just about me away from all the other people. Um, 
there are many different kind of like frameworks that I work within within mm. that. Um, but that's come through like a lot of like um, therapy that I've gone through because of like my own mental health journey. Um, mm. So say like things like um, I'm not a huge fan of like CBT, uh, but that's like a very primary sort of way of like thinking. There's also one called ACT that I really like. Um, mm. And there's like things like schema and they're just like the different ways of kind of framing the way that you navigate the world and your own head as well. Yeah. Okay. And then I, um, yeah, we, we can dive into that. We can dive into your, your journey soon and start to explore how you got there. And of course your mental health challenges will come up in that conversation. Mm. Um, um, but I, I just want to, I just want to highlight the point which you made there about how getting feedback from others of helping them the way that they want to be helped. I think I remember Simon Sinek being interviewed a little while ago and he was being asked, um, so do you just want to make sure that you help other people or how do you make sure that you help other people the way that, or treat other people the way you want to be treated? It's like, no, I want to treat other people the way they want to be treated. <laughs> um, which I guess becomes a lot more subjective and a lot harder to define. Um, and do you just rely on feedback from others? Like, have you actually helped them with the service? Is that the way to do it? Is that the most successful way of acting in the world in that regard? Helping? I believe so. Yeah. Um, I definitely believe so. I think that, you know, when we implement these kind of like one size fits all solutions, they're really well intentioned a lot of the time, but it's that um, kind of conversation about the difference between like equality versus equity, you know, mm -hmm. taking into consideration that you shouldn't give everyone just like a shoe. You should give them a shoe that fits them. Um, mm -hmm. And specifically understanding that like their circumstances are very unique and like they're the only person that can really explain their circumstances. So like for me, as an example, even though I like have a certain gender or come from a certain cultural background or anything like that, these sorts of labels that like no matter how much you study um, or you like read about other people's stories, you're not going to be able to understand what it really feels like to be me. Like as much as I'm not going to be able to understand what it feels like to be you. I think we're yeah. each the experts of our own experience and we're the people that can best speak to whether something has actually really helped us or not. Mm -hmm. I had a I had a friend just yesterday. Uh, his He's always big into emotions. And we often end up, whenever we have a chat, the first probably 10, 15 minutes are just about how one of us feels because you ask, like, how are you going, right? Or how are you feeling today? And he asked a really cool question, which I think I'm going to start adopting almost everywhere from now on, which is, what does it feel like to be you today? I like that. What does it feel like to have your experience of the world today? And then you're forced to actually kind of answer <laughs> in a way that is away from all of the filters, right? Because it doesn't really matter so much the context anymore. It's like, what does, what does it just feel feel like? Mm. And then it gets to the point a lot faster too. Okay, well, let, let's dive into your journey. Before we, before we explore some of the mental health challenges specifically uh, or what the work that you're doing uh, actually entails, mm -hmm. um, what about your journey? Maybe start, start from as early as you like. You already started with... I, I guess the inherited trauma or challenges from your parents. Uh, maybe, maybe elaborate on that and start, and share how that's influenced your life to today. Mm, absolutely. Um, I'll go on a bit of a rant. So do stop me. Great. Ask me other questions. Um, but yeah, I I grew up in Perth, um, in West Australia, and I grew up extremely privileged compared to my parents, um, and like very very aware of that as well. Um, you know, like them immigrating whether it be from a war or whether because of family circumstances before they were like 16 um, and not knowing the language of the country that they're moving into is wild, um, particularly around the time that like racism was a lot more rife. So 
I think I was constantly comparing my experiences or my access to resources opportunities to them. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was always kind of taught that, you know, I should be grateful for everything that I have. Um, And that's just kind of the way that I navigated the world from a very, very early stage. Um, I was very quiet kid um, because I was very scared of different things. Um, I was always very anxious about um, you know, now I have the language to describe it, but I think on the outside, um, you would see a very, I don't know, yeah, very, very self-conscious, uh, very introverted, but really hardworking student. I was honestly like the picture child for like Asian kids. Um, <laughs> like I played violin and piano, got like extremely high marks in school, did like all the extracurriculars. But on the inside, I was really struggling with many different things that like I couldn't I couldn't describe and I couldn't understand um, and I didn't feel safe or able to describe it. Um, And I felt like if I spoke up about any of these things, it would be maybe ungrateful for all the amazing things that I had access to that many of the people that I loved didn't have access to. Um, That did manifest in um, many different ways. uh, But the first kind of crisis point that I'd say I hit in like the different advocacy circles that I sit in now um, was with mental health. and yeah, I, I, it was around age 12. Um, I definitely experienced a number of different things, but getting like, um, having a very public breakdown at school and then being put in different like public and private mental health settings, and then slowly learning about like things like diagnoses and things that, um, you know, I think a lot of people do know about now. Um, but at the time it was all very new. Um, and I learned that, you know, these feelings that I had, they, are one real um and two i deserve help around it and three help exists um that was amazing for me um very very difficult wish it didn't happen in that very crisis focused sense absolutely um but i am also really glad that i was able to be in a surrounding setting where like when i hit that crisis point someone was able to give me to the right person and i'm able to navigate that as some in some sort of way um it definitely hasn't been easy. And I think that I work in the spheres that I work in now out of necessity um, because I feel like the advocacy that I ended up doing was because I needed to speak my own story. I need to speak for other people and like join those sorts of groups because there needs to be a lot more storytelling and actually us sharing our own experiences. Um, but yeah, like it's that, that kind of kicks out of my journey into learning different things about myself, whether it be, uh, the fact that I'm queer, um, I'm now, I'm identified as non-binary. Um, I was assigned female at birth um, and I'm pansexual, which means that it's like under the umbrella of bisexual. Um, so I can be attracted to people regardless of their gender. I also have a disability. I've collected a cluster of different <laughs> diagnoses along the way. Um, there's like many different things I just didn't know about myself and that other people didn't know either because we weren't in an environment where it was really safe or accepted to be quote unquote different. Um, I think that that was something that I've really learned along the way. And it's been really lovely to see my parents learn that as well, that like the differences that I have are not things that are making me less. Like I'm, I'm different and that's something that can be accepted and celebrated as well. And meeting people and walking into circles where my difference is something that is, yeah, no, yeah, not just accepted, but actually celebrated and role modeled in other people. That's, been the most amazing healing thing about my whole journey um so yeah like I all of those experiences personally meeting other people hearing their stories has just kind of 
funneled me into the work that I do now, which is what I term under like lived and living experience. Um, and that's just the concept that like there's professional expertise where like you've read about something or you work in a certain field versus like lived and living expertise, which is the expertise that you gain through actually living through the experience, um, which is a lot more nuanced. You understand the different kind of little intersections that can happen within that. Um, and yeah, I, I amplify other people's lived and living expertise, whether that be through um, through mental health or through like even like technology circles and making sure that people's experiences of things like systems and services aren't that they're normally designed for us, um, but not with us. Um, and I'm trying to change that narrative around that. But yeah, my main starting point is within, within mental health. Um, and it's really exciting that there's definitely a culture shift in terms of like who is the expert in the room. Um, and now we're having like clinicians partnered with people who are actually receiving the service or quote unquote patients um, and understanding that both the expertise are really needed to understand how we can improve the service. Okay. So uh, before we dive into all of the <laughs> advocacy, which is, which is a, which will be a beautiful rabbit warren, right? Um, the, you, you mentioned that all of this kind of came to a head when you were, at 12 years old and you had a public breakdown. Mm. Well, do you mind sharing what that experience was? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm very happy to go into like depth and detail, but mm. please, of course, like edit this for like whatever is best and safe for you. Um, sure. uh, honestly, uh, so what it, what it was experienced for me at the time, um, I'll, I'll tell you like what it was like for me at the time. And then I'll tell you what actually happened given my knowledge and language afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, at the time, I remember going to school and having a lot of like heightened emotions on that one day. Um, and I sat in my literature class and I received back like the results of a test that I thought that I did really well on. Um, you know, those like those tests where like they give you this weird paragraph about things in literature, you're trying to see the meaning and everything. Um, and I thought I nailed it. Um, I was really excited to receive specifically that test back. Um, and I was used to like getting a certain mark. Um, but I got significantly less than I thought that I did. And it really just immediately, like I immediately started crying. Um, and my teacher who knows me as like, you know, the quiet studious kid was like, whoa, what is happening? Um, all my friends kind of freaked out as well. Um, immediately sent me to the counselor who really sat me down and asked me for the first time, like, hey, how are you feeling? Why did this happen? Like what's going on for you at home? And no one had really sat me down at that point before then and asked me those questions. Um, and I think it was kind of like the floodgates opened. Um, so looking in retrospect now, um, I now understand that what I was struggling with was um, I had grown up in a very domestically violent household. Um, I had had a number of different incidents that had happened that week before. Um, I had also struggled with different parts of like self-harm and suicidal ideation. I didn't realize it was that at the time. Um, and different eating disorders as well and things just kind of like hit a point of all those things happen at once and that one test was the straw that broke the camel's back so to speak um i think being able to talk to that counselor at school and then being had into different mental health um, facilities afterwards that was able to just start my journey into exploring and unpacking the many different other things that were going on um and it did start off with, you know, the more palatable, more understanding, like depression, anxiety, but then dig into other things that were definitely a lot more difficult for me to talk about and a lot more stigmatized at the time as well. When you say more stigmatized, you're, you're starting to talk about the uh, gender identification and sexual orientation. 
Yes, definitely. Um, and I think also around like domestic violence, it, like particularly around the school that I went to, um, like I went to a, a very, a very well off, to be honest, um, like all girls, Christian girls school. Um, and yeah, that, that wasn't spoken of at all. Um, I don't think anyone spoke of how they were struggling with, with mental health things, but especially, um, to do with any sort of things to do with violence. Um, yeah, I think that there are definitely parts of our experiences as people that are easier to talk about, um, than, than others. Um, and I think for me, like the depression, anxiety, once I was able to speak about that, it was, became a little bit easier to speak about the more difficult things like domestic violence. And then later on exploring things like my gender and sexuality. Mm. Uh, as you're, as you're sharing that, I'm reminded of, uh, with our first daughter, especially we, we struggled with breastfeeding, um, and, plenty of lactation consultants were trying to help out but there was this one lactation consultant who and we tried a lot of things i won't go into the, the detail of it there was this one lactation consultant who was uh talking to my wife and i was like no one else is having these problems it's like look there's a whole industry for this she was helping <laughs> she was helping a mum another mum's group at the time uh and she was like all of them uh she, she was helping about half of them about half of them were her clients and uh, all of them, all of those who were clients were saying, none of the other mums are having any problems. Mm. It's like, no, no, half of them are having problems. I can't tell you which ones, but half of them are struggling. <laughs> and I guess there are a lot of things which people are struggling with, which they just don't feel capable of being able to talk about. Um, I wonder, I wonder what ramifications that's having for people who are just simply struggling and then they're trying to find a new identity trying to find new identity and then they kind of land on well maybe it's because of this particular orientation i have or this particular leaning or maybe i've just got this identification or maybe mm. it's or maybe they they finally come across the definition of uh ptsd and like see i've got ptsd that's my problem <laughs> and that they start to say well this is who i am mm. and i'm curious your thoughts about especially with regards to labeling Mm. Uh, but then also the extreme of this where people are just wanting to be seen and heard. And so they end up starting to condition themselves in line with identities that they've come up with. Yeah. What are your thoughts in that regard? Honestly, um, I talk about like diagnoses and labels a fair amount. Um, there are definitely positives in the sense of um, I like to focus on the positives first mm. and then I will dig sure. into the plethora of negatives afterwards. Um, but the positives of diagnoses and labels, I think it gives people like a shared language to kind of communicate about their experience. So like say if if my experience is something is to do with depression, um, if I share that with someone, they'll be able to have a reference point and they can be like, oh, okay. And then hopefully that's kind of like the conversation starter. I think that's the best way that we can kind of use diagnoses and labels is the first bit to lead to what it actually is, um, but not necessarily being like, this is the box that you discreetly fit into. Um, mm -hmm. I, I like it in the sense that like, if someone mentions something, I can go and like Google it in my own time and have that as a conversation starter, just for my own like research. Um, it's a really good starting point. Um, and that's what I think the extent of them should be used in. Um, but the negatives are, like you said, like people, there is there are some people that tend to box themselves into just one thing or get boxed into by other people into one thing. Um, I think that's extremely harmful um, in a number of different senses. I think that 
people generally. Um, we're not single faceted. I don't think that there's a single diagnosis that can cover the entire human experience of anything. No. Um, and that there's like a really big movement about like declinicalizing and decolonizing, like particularly health services. Um, but also if it's a very human thing that if we create one kind of space that's for a set number of people, then, you know, it's, it does trigger that kind of like us versus them mentality. Um, it triggers like different, different types of things that kind of exclude people in the intent of being inclusive. Um, and that's extremely harmful. I think, um, it doesn't let us, you know, understand the intersections between how something can also intersect with something else, you know, like how can someone's experience of XYZ color their experience of ABC? Um, I think, that's that's the main thing that I'm navigating at the moment is making sure that, you know, when people understand one thing particularly extremely well, um, they also need to be open to other things as well, whether that be like a clinician that focuses on ADHD. They also need to understand that like that experience also intersects with like the cultural nuances of like neurodiversity and other things like that. Um, you cannot be the expert um we all need to be like really humble and consistently learning in this space um and only use these types of labels as just the conversation starter not the boxes and the walls that are rigid and permanent mm. i mean i see uh i see a lot of value in people being able to be heard and seen and cared for and being able to know that they're accepted as for who they are i see a hell of a lot of value in that um and at the same time, on the macro level, I see our society shifting to almost forcing people to recognize certain viewpoints. Now, I've had a, one person was a client, another person is sort of an acquaintance, uh, who both, they have shop fronts, and they were both sharing that they were really frustrated that they, that they feel forced, ultimately bullied, into having rainbows on the front of their shop for Pride Week or Pride 17 days however long it was right and they they feel forced to be doing that and then they're like wait now i'm being forced to do something i don't particularly agree with because otherwise people just won't come in one of them didn't do it and then they just had like no business for that two and a half weeks and that is a i i fear that i mean this is slightly off topic to so the normal things which we talk about right so for the listeners here who uh, who are normally listening in because they want to find ways to be better leaders to be better parents <laughs> to be better uh sibling spouses just to uh become more successful um to be able to redefine their definition of success i mean obviously this is part of it is just being able to recognize that other people have different views so this mm. is the for those listening, this is the empathy part of success, right? <laughs> uh, the empathy part of impact and purpose and how you connect with others and how much you can enjoy your life. Uh, but from a, from a really macro sense, which influences what individuals should be doing, um, I'm curious your thoughts about how this is, how this whole know, uh, exacerbation, right? Like the, as if the pendulum is swinging too far. Uh, I'm not saying that it is. Uh, I just know a lot of people who feel that way. And then it's almost as if there's going to be even more pushback against it further down, which will just make it even worse later on. I'm curious your thoughts about that and how people are able to navigate it when their values don't align with what it seems is ex expected in society. 100%. Um, and like, yeah, I also know a lot of people that feel similarly. I think that that example that you shared about like people feeling pressured to display certain things, um, mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of people that I know that are really worried about the tokenistic aspect of like, hey, I do support 
queer people but like mm. do, like i don't feel like it's necessarily like i need to display something in that certain way like i want to show it through different ways um but they know that like if they don't do it the like societally deemed normal way then it's going to be bad for them um i feel like uh the pendulum sort of question is really interesting in the sense that i hope that we aren't too like within within advocacy this is a very roundabout answer. Um, the way that I used to advocate, and I think the way that a lot of people advocate when they're early on in their journeys is through a lens of, we all need to be suddenly on this level where we all understand things. We need to burn systems down completely. Like, And there's like very little tolerance for people that are along different parts of their journey of learning about things and wanting to do things a different way. Um, it's very odd and like one kind of one size fits all. Um, and it's and it goes against the actual system that we're trying to burn down is, is that the system currently is one size fits all, but putting a whole different other one size fits all lens is not the way to go. I don't think, um, I think that type of like angry advocacy is something that I really, I feel for. Um, and I used to be that type of person because I didn't know another way. Um, but after being a part of this space for so long, I know that like the best way to do this is through empathy and through understanding that we're very much on individual and collective journeys um, and collective in the sense that like it can be the home that we occupy, the workplace that we're in, the friend group, and those are all in different stages and we all want to explore things in different ways, but we're all evolving just as people. Um, I think the best thing that we can do is just kind of be kind to each other and not make assumptions and not kind of put these really hard assumptions on people of like, oh, you don't support queer people unless you display this specific thing. Um, you know, we're, we interrogate it a little bit further and we don't make those assumptions because those assumptions are where we ended up in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm not a huge fan for um, things that are very rigid. Um, things like, you know, like quotas are another example of um, these kind of like trying to fix a problem that's very, very minute with a hammer um, as opposed to like really unpacking it um, and trying to understand why that happened in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think that we can we can be a little bit too heavy-handed with the way that we try to be inclusive or the way that we try to advocate for things rather than just being empathetic and understanding that, you know, I think generally most people are not dicks and they're not trying to be, mm. but they're just making the best of the situation and the experience that they've had. Um, and the best thing that we can do is just understand that and then meet them where they're at. So... Practically speaking, then, if mm -hmm. someone listening to this is a manager and they're trying to make sure that they're inclusive for the team, mm -hmm. or someone who's listening to this is a parent and they want to make sure that they're not forcing their worldview on their kids, but they're, at the same time, they're, they're wanting to make sure that they're supporting their kids with the values that, that they espouse. Um, what are the tangible steps to be able to have more empathy and more caring for others in a way that doesn't continue pushing the pendulum or make people feel even more isolated somewhere in the middle round? I think it's about very, very individual conversations about understanding like, Hey, how do you feel about this? And then asking them like, why do you feel about that? And if they're not like open or safe to exploring that in a way that, you know, gets the answers that you feel like you need or you want to make progress with that, then I think changing the environment around the way that you, which you ask that or like how you ask that is really important. Um, you know, not blaming them is the first sort of thing. Um, I think something that I really, really, really love um, first off is to first check your own assumptions about it um, and understand how you feel first. Cause I feel like 
we're really good as people asking questions about others, but not really good about asking them about ourselves. Um, I think by understanding your own of like how you actually reached a certain viewpoint or experience or opinion um, and being able to like really fully articulate that to someone else, that's only when you're able to hold your own experience separate to someone else's and not let your experience color theirs. Um, I think that that's the main thing that I really worry about within like biased kind of conversations is that we're really well-intentioned, but we often let our own perspectives leak into others. And then Mm -hmm. therefore we're not really understanding who they are. We're understanding like our perspective of them, um, which is completely different. Um, I, yeah, I think that the first thing is to check yourself and then slowly learn about the other person, but you need to do that within like a really safe environment for both of you, uh, whether that be a manager or whether that be a parent um, and just being fully aware that like, you're having that conversation at one point in time. If you have it again in a week's time, both of you may be different people um, and just mm-hmm. being fully willing to consistently have that conversation. And different people as in you might have had a change or you just might have woken up differently that morning? Is that yeah, what you mean? E- everything like everything. that. I think that we're consistently shaped by the things that happen to us and around us and the choices that we make. Um, so like, something that I might've experienced this week would have made me feel differently about a certain thing or yeah. Or I might just wake up a little bit differently. I think just mm-hmm. not assuming that we're very set people. Um, we're very volatile <laughs> as humans. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I like that. Um, for, for background, I teach meditation with mm-hmm. a business partner who was a monk for 10 years, um, which is amazing to be teaching. But one of the key components is that we've got to learn to separate our awareness with uh, the thoughts and the emotions which are coming up. So being able to become aware of what's showing up, right? Like a great example, I've been, I've been working with a client one-on-one on meditation. And one of his key stresses, key frustrations is when he goes to a beach and there are people smoking on the beach and they're not supposed to. And he's asthmatic or mildly asthmatic. And then he smells smoke and then obviously he gets riled up uh, and he doesn't know how to handle it right? He doesn't know how to approach them if he does. And he kind of walks past and kind of just like coughs really loudly to hopefully make them feel bad. <laughs> and he recognizes that after doing that for probably about two or three years, it hasn't stopped anything. So <laughs> he probably needs to try something else. Um, and what's been a game changer for him is just being able to learn to uh, be aware of the smell of smoke. And knowing that just smelling smoke, there's nothing inherently bad about that. The only things which are bad about it is then being able to go, oh, wait, but that might cause me to cough more or people answer, but they should not be doing that. All the should statements, all the beliefs come up. And then that's what causes all of our frustration. And I suspect that the same applies to when we're attempting to be more empathetic with others. If we become more aware of how we feel ourselves and what's actually coming up for us and those should beliefs, you'll recognize it's very different to others. Um, in one of our meditation masterminds was uh, someone was just sharing that, well, we're talking about the concept of their kids having an emotional breakdown. I used to call them meltdowns, but then a previous guest, Dr. James Kirby, who has spent his whole academic career focusing on compassion-focused therapy, uh, shared, why don't we call it an emotional breakdown instead of a meltdown? Might be a nicer term. <laughs> uh, and uh, the most important thing that we can possibly do when we're engaging with our kids is being able to just recognize that if they're breaking if they're breaking down or if they're having a bit of an emotional outburst, that's not inherently a bad thing. You can just be aware that that's what's happening. 
and you can be aware of those are the sounds that you're hearing, those are the sights that you're seeing. The then be especially cognitive, be especially aware of all of the thoughts which are coming up and the emotions which are coming up. So, oh, not this again. Oh, I don't have time for this. Why don't they just grow up? They should be more developed than they are. All those types of things which come up, right? And that's the dissonance. So you're talking about avoid blaming someone and just recognize and try and have more empathy, right? Try and have more wise compassion for them and just recognize that they need to have the support from you first rather than just the expectations from you, right? How yeah. does that... How does that change the interaction? What have you found that that changes the interaction? Honestly, um, in you reflecting that, um, I feel like it's it's a lot of what I was trying to share about like unlearning. Um, and mm -hmm. it's like, it's not necessarily unlearning and like getting rid of those sort of gut reactions that you have to situations, but yeah, being aware of them and being able to choose something different, like you can still choose to react that way if you want to. But I think being conscious and intentional about it is the main thing that, I really love. Um, I think that that kind of awareness and that empathy that you can choose to display to someone else has so many ramifications, not just for the relationship that you're in, you're able to understand that person better, you're able to help them in a better way that actually works for them. Um, mm -hmm. But you're also able to understand yourself better. Um, and I think that kind of reciprocal relationship and the reciprocal nature of empathy is massive um, and really, really understated. Um, I think like by me being able to enter a situation, um, I still have those kind of gut reactions of like, I should do this or they should do this. Um, and then be able to put those aside and choose something different. Um, just learning that skill doesn't just improve that relationship. It improves every other relationship that I walk into as well. It's, it's amazing to be able to have a little bit more choice over the way that you respond rather than react to things. Um, and I think that that's, that's a lifelong journey that you can go into, but yeah, we all have these, these gut things that are drilled into us from very young or from trauma and other things like that. Um, but I think that we don't necessarily need to be defined by them. Um, I still have them definitely, but I will always try to choose empathy if I have the brain space for it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you're saying that the way that you choose that empathy for someone listening is just to try and put your should statements or your beliefs to the side when you're connecting. Um, Definitely. Yeah. Trying not to, um, yeah. Trying not to treat the other person like they're someone that, yeah, it's only my perception of them, but treating them for how they actually are. Um, mm -hmm. And by doing so, I need, I need to fully distance myself and like know where my experience ends and where theirs begins. Uh, I think I'll, I'll, I'll quote Shazad Chamanai, um, his positive intelligence, um, and he does a lot of work with saboteurs and he shares this, this idea. One of his power, power games is curious anthropologist. Just become, when you're engaging with someone else or when you're just trying to explore what's coming up within yourself, just try and be as curious as possible. Right? And if you're able to be curious as if you're visiting an alien planet and you've never seen it before, and you don't want to touch things. You don't want to break it all. <laughs> uh, and at the same time, you want, you're really fascinated. You want to learn as much as you possibly can. I suspect that that helps lead us to um, to a more beautiful, inclusive environment. Absolutely. I think that that lens of compassion and curiosity, they're like my two really big values that I stick to almost everything that I do. And mm -hmm. um, it's kind of just the assumption that, you know, I don't know everything. I don't think I ever will, um, nor mm -hmm. do I want to really. But I think 
being able to like constantly be open to asking questions about myself and about others is really lovely. Um, I can't quite remember where I learned this from, but there's like a, the four person theory that like, say within this conversation between you and me, between any two people, there's four people in it. There's like you and me, um, like my understanding of myself, your understanding of yourself, and then my understanding of you and then your understanding of me. Um, and be able to see like who's actually talking in that situation, who we're actually perceiving is really interesting. Yeah, I like that. Uh, reminds me of something I've worked on quite a lot. Is just recognizing that what you what you do, as well as what like let's just say you're saying something to me, and let's just say I get offended by it. What you say is different to what you've intended to say. It's different to how I've and chosen or unconsciously chosen to perceive it, and that's that's also different to what I choose to or what meaning I assign to it. So. Similar, I guess, this four-person theory is like you're you're trying to do something when you're saying something. You might smile, you might look away from the from the camera, you might do a whole bunch of different things. I can assign a certain meaning to it based on what I'm perceiving, and each of those steps we're usually able to stop a downward spiral towards our normal patterns, right? Yeah. Um, I was chatting about this just recently with. Um, guy named Dave Powers. He has he been on another episode of the podcast. Uh, he, he and his wife created a personality system, which has 512 types. They're about to expand it to 2048, right? Because I guess that just recognizes there are more than 16 types of people in the world. <laughs> um, believe it or not. Sorry, Myers Briggs. <laughs> and uh, we, we spoke for quite a length about people just identifying as their personality. It's like, oh, this is my personality. For the, most people know Myers Briggs. It's like, oh, I'm a INTJ. That's just who <laughs> I am. I'm just an INTJ. Of course, that's my limitation. Of course, that's that's just who I am, right? Um, it's it's dangerous when people start going down that path, right? And I guess that that can happen on very large scales or very significant identity shifts, as well as smaller things as well, right? Like people in their in their career, and they're like, oh, well, I'm not the manager. Oh, well, I'm not the I'm not in the exec team. Oh, I don't have enough money. And as soon as you start to take those beliefs on, you're going to limit your success, right? Yeah, I think you limit like the way that you perceive yourself as well as the way that you perceive other people. Like mm -hmm. we're not set versions of people. No. Um, I think like you talking about personality types, whether it be personality types, job roles, or like diagnoses or anything like that. They're just ways of like the potential ways that we could limit ourselves. Um, it's same with like horoscopes and stuff like that. Like they can be a way of navigating the world for some people. They can be a way to starting a conversation, but they're not confinements. Um, and I don't think we should ever confine ourselves to those sorts of things like that. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's too, it, it's far too black and white for, for how fluid um, the human experience is. If we just circle back to this idea of diagnoses, uh, and limitations that people might have as a result of being identified as something. Uh, where do we where do we draw the line? Like it can be great to have a diagnosis, and then they go, oh, "Okay, right." If it's ADD, um, mm. I understand that this is the particular limitation, and so these are the challenges, or these are the challenges that I'm going to face. Uh, but how do you draw the line from there to? Oh, you're just always going to struggle. It's just always going to be too hard or you, these types of things are not going to be good for you. That type of conversation. Honestly, 
still same sort of thing of just like keep asking questions about yourself um and about others like honestly my my diagnosis of adhd i definitely have similarities between me and like some other friends of adhd absolutely um but the similarities i have with one person are different to the similarities i have with another um the coping mechanisms are very different for each of us i think that there is just kind of a way to be like oh, okay this is a label that i've been given by someone else and asking them what does that actually mean for you or like how does that look like for you um i think not being necessarily okay i'm going to rip out my diagnostic statistical manual and like okay you you identify with these things it's it's never really like that um or at least like i definitely haven't come across a certain person that fits discreetly on a page in their experience um i think that it's really important that we just keep asking that like that label what does that mean for you how has that defined you um and asking whether you know diagnoses are even good for them um because for me it's a mixed bag um definitely really good things in terms of i can describe to you some sort of aspects of me that have led to this further conversation but for some people it's about rejecting all of it and understanding that they don't want to be ascribed a certain word to describe how they're feeling um it's yeah i don't think that we can ever ever make assumptions yeah Okay. Uh, if we if we change tack slightly, I, I suspect we might come back to that topic. Um, mm. But if we change tack slightly, you do a hell of a lot. Like you've got <laughs> a lot on, right? Uh, how do you how do you find the energy to do it all, and how do you manage your time accordingly as well? Like you've got a lot which you're doing. How's that work? Honestly. Uh like it's getting better. Um, I'd say that like a couple, if you asked me this, um, about a year ago, um, I'd say that my boundaries were a lot worse than they currently are. Um, but my, I think my boundaries are going to be a consistent thing that I'm going to be working on for life. Um, within the work that I do, it's odd to call it work. Um, because it doesn't ever feel like it. It feels like I'm having these conversations that are just really meaningful. And so, honestly like reciprocal um they're so healing like all the work that I do to help other people I also get a sense of like fulfillment through it it's not the reason why I do it but I would be lying if I said that I didn't like get something meaningful from it as well um yeah I think because it's so like it fills my cup so much it's very hard to put boundaries around that and to have things apart from myself that I say like are definitely not work or cannot be perceived as productive in a sense um I, I'm very, I'm very hyper fixated on certain things. Um, that's a part of like being really neurodiverse. So I can, I think that's something that has helped me be really efficient, I guess, um, in terms of like, I can spend a small amount of time doing something really intensely. Um, so I do make use of like understanding when my like hyper fixations kind of come and go um, and like how I can funnel them in the best ways. And that's been like managing different parts of my mental health. So like understanding how I actually like to work and the way that I like to communicate as well. Um, yeah, there's, there's min maxing my life like that, but I think also it's about being able to take care of myself and making sure that I still have things to give in a way that's really sustainable. And that's something that I will consistently work out. Those are the boundaries that I mentioned. Um, and that's how I think I can continue doing this type of work um, at the capacity that I'm currently doing it because I'm consistently making sure that I'm taking care of myself whilst I'm also taking care of others. It's it's a very difficult balance, but within this type of work, I don't want to burn bright and burn out. Um, I want to make sure that it is a journey that I can consistently be on because the work needs to be done and I love it um, and I want to keep doing it, but I need to make sure that 
I'm able to keep doing it. I can put my mask on first before I help others. How do you, how do you make sure that, you know, like, how do you, how do you even keep track of how sustainably you're approaching all the work that you're doing? Uh, there's very tangible ways. Uh, there's various very intangible ways. Uh, I'll talk about, I'll talk about the intangible ways first, um, because the tangible ways are kind of funny. Um, <laughs> the intangible ways are kind of checking in consistently with the people that know me, um, and know me aside from all this type of work stuff. Like they work in very different fields to me. Those are like my very close personal friends, my partner, my family. Um, I think just making sure that, you know, I am being grounded in who I am and I'm not defined necessarily by the work that I do. That's, that's really important to me that I am not the work. Um, so there's that, you know, being, making sure that I am in each moment, like how do I actually feel in different conversations? And I think that that's really important for like the consulting freelance type stuff that I do, especially because when I say no to something, I need to know exactly why I'm saying no or why I'm saying yes to something. I need to know like what I'm getting out of it. Um, and what it's actually like, it's making me feel like, um, that's, that's been integral to me. It's just being really aware of that. Um, but the tangible ways of tracking things. Um, I talk about, you know, being intentional with your choices or the way that you react to things, but also I'm very intentional with the things that I choose to do and the time that I spend doing things. Um, hilariously. So that this year I started doing this, like <laughs> we, my friend linked me a spreadsheet that he saw on Reddit of someone who tracked his like hour every day for the past five years. Mm. And like, I love data. Um, I just love, it's just very like cool. Um, and so I've just started doing that all of this year. And it's been really good to like understand how I'm really being intentional with like, oh, I'm spending too much time doing this. Or like, oh, I wish that I could spend that time doing something else. Or like, oh, I'm not, not getting enough sleep. Um, it's very tangible. And I do it at the end of every day of just kind of being like, what did I do today? Um, how did that make me feel? And seeing the overall summaries of like, this is the amount of percentage of my time that I've spent like with my friends as opposed to work. Oh, I'd really love to spend a bit more time and making a conscious effort to do that the next day. That's, that's been something that's been really cool for me. And it's, it's very pretty. <laughs> uh, how, how long have you been doing this for? Only, only just this year, but it has okay. manifested in different ways. Like previous years, I would use like different apps, like, um, Dahlia is one that I really liked, um, being able to log like different activities and your mood and track that over time. But this one I love it because it's just a Google spreadsheet. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's so easy to go through. Yeah. Um, Vin Jang, who was, a uh, he was a guest, I think episode 15 and he's got a lot on his plate as well, right? You're, you're probably familiar with who he is. Mm. Um, and he shared in his, in the conversation that he schedules everything. Yeah, uh, everything's scheduled. It's like slightly different approach, right? Because for him, everything's in advance. For you, you're kind of a little bit being more being more reflective, which is a unique take on it. Cool. Uh, but for him, is literally his calendar is completely blocked out. Uh, even even his sleep, even time for spontaneity with his wife uh, or with his family, like his blocked out time for spontaneity without any That's plans. Lovely. Um, which is really powerful. But I guess most people have a lot of resistance to doing it, right? Because it's like, oh, no, once I schedule it in, it's going to limit me. <laughs> and and it could like, that probably couldn't be further from the truth. Have you tried scheduling everything in and you just find that being more uh, or found, found that looking back is more helpful for you? Um, I definitely try to schedule in the work things, 100%, or like the really big like events that I want to do with friends. Um, so like, say if I have like a dinner that I need to be at a certain time, I will mm -hmm. put that in my calendar. But as for like, 
I'm not gonna put like potato time with partner um in my calendar because I know that like the spaces that I have that are empty for me in my head that the way that I look at it like all the empty bits are potato time and the restful time the thing that I will spend intentionally not doing work related things which is really nice um I think my kind of like going back at the end of the day and like logging in like how much time did I actually spend doing certain things that's a nice like little reflective activity of how things actually made me feel um so I do like I like scheduling things in advance in terms of I like planning stuff out um and it's good to be able to you know see in advance like how much like space or like how I can ration my energy but I think afterwards the reflecting activity is really really good at least for my brain in understanding like how exactly can I change this for the next day? Like, even though I had things sort of scheduled in my calendar, it might've changed throughout the day, or like I might've spent a little bit more time working than I should have, or that I would have wanted to. Um, how could I make that a little bit more intentional the next day? Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh, as you were sharing that, it reminded me of what you were talking about earlier, right? You, you came across when you had a lot of anxiety, depression, and a few other challenges, domestic violence and the like as well. And um, you were seen as a very uh, introverted kid. I don't get the sense from you at all that you're introverted. Like, I, don't, <laughs> I don't get that sense whatsoever, both, both in your life story as well as in the way that we're communicating now. Um, there might be phases where you go through introversion and time where you need a lot of downtime. But I don't get the sense that you're highly introverted. I really am, mm -hmm. like, real bad. Um, like, to the sense that, like, if I go out in, in public, especially, um, I can kind of feel like my energy levels, like physically being drained, but even mm -hmm. if I'm not interacting with people, just by physically being around people, um, it's very odd. There are only select people in my life that I know that it's either like it's at a neutral or they do boost up my energy. Um, and those people are like the very, very close people to me, but for most people in general, regardless of how amazing they are and I, and regardless of how much I love them, it's just a general kind of drain in my energy of just being around people. I think it is kind of to do with um, whether it be my experience with autism or experience with other things and sensory preferences of being around people. But yeah, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very anxious, introverted. Um, I've been super anxious this whole conversation, but I, mm. I just am as a base level. Um, this is just kind of the way that I interact with the world. Um, but I think like having this really public profile and like having like you know news articles that talk about my experiences with like trigger warning suicide or like self-harm and stuff like that like things that are very difficult for most people I'd say to talk about at the moment um it's it's odd um, I feel like those are parts of myself that I am very willing and open to share um and that I'm very willing and open to share like most parts of me but mm. in terms of actually spending time around me and like a conversational sense or like hanging out sense that's where like the introversion comes really <laughs> really a lot out like mm -hmm. yeah I, I did a panel yesterday um and like I'm happy to be fully present and like this this kind of like verbal mm -hmm. um within the panel setting because I will have rationed out the energy for it like we did for like this chat but then like immediately after the panel it's like it's kind of hard for me to engage with people again um I will need to like ration out that sort of energy in that space and time um it's odd it's like i'm even scheduling like the emotional spoons for different situations mm. yeah i get that i was i was referencing introversion versus extrovert mm. like I, I hear how you're referring to introversion extroversion as based on how energized are you around others and i i 
from that from that perspective, yeah, that uh, that definitely sounds accurate. Um, the the sense I look at it from is from a Jungian function perspective, which is how narrowed down you are in your information and how uh, versus uh, widen and how narrowed down versus widen you are with uh, people. Mm. And I get the sense that a big part of you is to make sure that you're serving others. Uh, the big part of you is making sure that you can you can be there for other people. You feel very responsible for the tribe. And I also get the sense from you that you tend to take in a lot of new and you tend to go towards the new as well. As soon as there's a new opportunity or something new that can be done, you'll be like, oh, I gotta go to that. That's gonna be fun. <laughs> and then you'd uh, almost prefer to explore those new things with other people uh, rather than just doing it yourself. So that's what I was referring to as extroversion. Does, right. does that sound accurate? Yes, that is a lot. Yeah, thank you for clarifying. And that definitely sounds very accurate to me. Um, I think the reason why I gravitate um, within advocacy, at least, towards new things with people is because I I don't think that I hold all the cards. I don't think that one person ever will. I think the more that I can bring diverse people around me with different perspectives, different ideas and experiences, the more we can learn together. Um, so say that if there's like a, a gap in XYZ system or space that needs to be improved, I definitely cannot be the only person that can fix it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think anyone can. Um, I think like bringing people together and sharing ideas and learning from and with each other is absolutely amazing. I love being challenged and I love like new opportunities to express myself and like understand different parts of myself in the world through. So absolutely through that sense. Um, mm. Yeah. I think that the spaces that I work in, it's very impossible to do it alone. Um, and if, if anyone did try to, it would be extremely to the detriment of other people. Like you're just creating new systems and services that aren't serving like many people. They're going to serve exactly just me. Um, yeah. <laughs> And that's not what I want. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there are some people out there where you can just try and serve that one person and like you get their view and it's kind of like 60, 70% of the world, but still has, that's not going to help you that much. Right. Exactly. Um, so what's, uh, where's the, where's the void or where's like the, the main shadow in your life? I, I don't, I don't get the sense that it's new information. I don't get the sense that it's around being around other people or that it's being able to explain ideas or concepts to others as well. Um, it sounds as though it's from a, uh, like a personal reflection, taking time to just be there for yourself without anyone else around or just being able to reflect and being able to process what you already know for yourself, as opposed to process what you know for everybody else or take in new information for yourself. It's just being able to process what you already have. Is that, does that sound like a, like a weak suit for you? Oh yeah, definitely. Mm. That That's the bit that I definitely need to get a bit better at. Um, I'm much better at taking care of other people than I am to take care of myself. Um, mm. I think most people that work in mental health can relate. Mm. Um, but I think especially like that is that sort of boundaries um, having more, like I, I term it potato time of just like me being able to just exist and not feel like I need to be like, I'm not actively responsible for someone else. Um, I feel like it's, it's something that I try to balance on a very consistent basis. Um, working with so many people, um, I, I feel like I've benefited so much from the people that came before me and I've really built the platforms upon, upon which I'm standing today and can speak mm -hmm. with, with you from today. Um, and I think I feel a lot of responsibility for like the people of the past, um, the people of the present currently, and then the younger people of the future. Um, 
And it's really hard being so aware of all that to just sit and like watch Netflix because <laughs> I feel like I'm doing a disservice. I feel like all of that time that I spent so silent and not able to express myself and not able to seek help or create the change that I'm trying to make right now, I feel like a bit of grief around that and like kind of wasted time around it. And I need to be, I'm constantly working to be kinder to myself and realize that like I am only one human um, mm -hmm. and it's very okay for me and necessary for me to just sit and be completely apart from all all the things that I do for work um, and still bring me joy. So it's, yeah, balancing that kind of like what am I giving out versus like what am I receiving, um, doing that through a number of lenses, whether it be just saying yes to opportunities that better align with me or saying no to more opportunities um, and just, you know, even through like the tracking at the end of my day, making sure that I am increasing that little part of my pie chart a little bit bigger than what it currently is. Mm. I guess as long as it's towards the purpose, right? Because you could, in theory, just decide to I don't know, go on a, <laughs> a two-week holiday and just watch Netflix for the whole time. That's probably not gonna, going to serve you or like your purpose. That sounds like torture, honestly. Yeah, um, yeah. That that sounds like one of the worst things you could possibly do to me. Um, mm. I th I think that a lot of the like, um, so something someone asked me a while ago, like if everyone got paid the same rate for if any job that they're doing, um, mm. like what would you do? And I'd definitely be still doing this work. Mm. And I think that that's really important is that a lot of my work is voluntary. Um, and so I think that I'd, I'm not necessarily doing it because I need a certain thing, whether it be finance, which is the point of privilege that I'm currently at, but I'm doing it because it's really meaningful for the people that I help as well as for myself. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a lot of talk towards UBIs, like universal basic incomes. Uh, which are quite exciting in and of themselves. But okay, so that's that's a whole nother tangent. Let's not <laughs> let's not go there right now. Um, so for those so for those who are listening, uh, it sounds like a big part of what you're talking about is self care. Don't mm -hmm. be afraid of diagnoses, but definitely don't identify as the diagnosis either. Just recognize it's a it's a behavior that you have. Right, find ways to fill your cup, uh, and recognize that you've got your strengths. And you've got your weaknesses. And it was interesting when earlier on you were talking about your definition of success. And part of it was saying, you made a side comment, which was saying, "When I, the more I help other people, the more I help myself. And most people tend to say that statement in the other way around, right? The more I help myself, the more I'm able to help other people. So I guess just recognizing our biases and the lenses that we take towards it can be really helpful for people as well. Um, and so you're mentioning about how you handle uh like if you're a manager and you've got an employee or if you've got a child uh or if you've got someone that you're responsible for uh, or even it's just someone that you're connected with right like your spouse or your partner to try and have more empathy for them uh, wise compassion uh intentional empathy uh to help them treat them or treat them the way that they want to be treated um, and I guess a big part of that is just listening to them and hearing them because a lot of people aren't actually clear on what their needs are. Like the, a lot of people really struggle to state what their needs are as well. No. Right. Yeah. Uh, how do you help people? I, how do you help meet other people's needs or treat them the way they want to be treated if they don't even know how they want to be treated in the first place? Honestly, there's a lot like 
I, I don't know how to help me a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really hard. Like, you know, if someone's really struggling and you just say like, how can I help you? And they, and they're like, I don't have any answer. Like if, if I knew I would do that myself, um, mm-hmm. I think something that I really love is offering them different options. Um, the three often options that I like to offer generally are like, Hey, do you want to just be listened to? Do you, um, do you want me to say anything to you? Or do you want to look for like tangible solutions? Do you want me to su- suggest things for you? Um, cause some people, they just want to be heard. Some people want to be like reflected and listened to in that sense. Like, and some people actually want logical solutions that can build the steps to get them out of that situation. Um, mm-hmm. and I think just checking in with them, like at those three different levels that can lead you to providing more options, like say like, here's the current menu of things that I can think of. Um, for me, particularly if people are really far away, I offer them like Uber Eats and memes and like a phone call. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm like, here's the current menu. You can choose things that are off the menu as well. Um, I think just be able to provide them like, some clarity and some spots of light within like often like an endless fog can be incredibly empowering um they don't need to have all the answers neither do you but just knowing that you're there to kind of workshop the solutions together that's that's really powerful Mm. yeah that's great um reminds me straight towards what chris rain shared when i chatted with him a while ago um he's and this is hello sunday morning chris rain um amazing person uh, and he just shared that he's starting to see himself as more of a parent to everybody. Um, it's just more of a, he sometimes finds himself parenting his spouse, parenting his the members of his team, parenting his parents. Right? He, he often just ends up finding himself just parenting others. Um, just, and, and I think that the reason he could say that is because of his definition of parenting. Right? Being able to, like what you just shared there about being able to say, do you want me to just listen to you? Do you want to talk about it? Do you want me to say something back? Or do you want me to help you solve it? Uh, or do you want to just solve it yourself? And do you want me to stay away and not say anything? Uh, is something that an amazing parent would do with their kid uh, when they're present enough and when they're able to, right? Um, becoming more of a parent. That's cool. On that okay. note, what what does the future hold for you? Personal work? career everything and how does what what does the future hold honestly i'm really open to future me um Mm -hmm. i think that's something that is a constant in my life whether it's been you know who i am at school or being an engineer at one point or working in advocacy spaces now particularly within mental health is that i'm always like really fascinated by gaps. Um, I love seeing gaps and like trying to like workshop solutions with people as like how we can fix that gap and try to serve better people around it. Um, it's always been from a lens of like, whether it be like a project inequality or a system or a service. Um, so I think that that's going to evolve. The different spaces that I work in will evolve, but I will probably be still kind of like weird problem solvey with a bunch of people around me at some point. Um, but personally, I think that's something I would really love to see in the future of me is just keep working along the same kind of lines of like getting to know myself better. Um, cause I'm always evolving as a person, um, consistently checking in with that and with that, like realigning the different parts around me. So being really intentional with like understanding this person that I am today, like do the current like things that I do, the people I choose to be around, do they align with that current version of me? And being really kind and empathetic to myself, like if that changes and how we can evolve with that a little bit better. Um, I think that's something that I am always going to have to do, um, mm-hmm. but I'd love to like 
yeah, just get closer and closer to that. So if someone's listening to this and they've listened to us for an hour so far, something along those <laughs> lines, right? And they've, they've followed us through, uh, what advice would you give them to be able to become more successful holistically, right? Like more impact, more enjoyment and more achievement as well. Uh, but to be able to, sorry, let, let me re-ask the whole question. Uh, what, yeah. advi- what advice would you give someone who just wants to be more successful with a sense of purpose as well? How can they do that? I think the first one is kind of kind of three three sort of steps. Mm-hmm. Um, first one is to accept unknowns and complexities about the world generally. I think being comfortable with discomfort is a really big step, um, and just kind of just being aware that 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 is a constant that's going to be a part of everyone's life. That's the first thing. The next thing is to use that feeling and really interrogate like how you currently are like and where you've also come from and different things that have kind of affected that, whether that be your financial situation, the color of your skin, the job role that you currently work in, the people that you live or be around. I think just being really conscious about all those different things, because I think um, it's, it's a very human thing to just kind of fall into a pattern and just have like kind of life happen to us, but being really conscious about this is what I've chosen and this is what I want to choose to be from here. Um, that's really important to learn that about yourself. And then the third thing is be able to hold yourself apart from others and then learn those set things about the other people as well. Um, so the same sort of things about like how they're actually feeling um, aside from like how you think that they're feeling, like be able to hold all your assumptions aside because you know yourself so well now and be open to the complexity and the unknown factors about other people. I think that is absolutely amazing. Um, I think that that will just bring, like once we have more clarity about ourselves, the people around us um, and be open to more possibilities. I think regardless of how you kind of define success, you're just going to be more open to exploring that a little bit further. Mm-hmm. And I guess that if there's someone who's listened to this and recognizing that it's important to be able to connect with others deeply or make sure that they've got more support that they might need, uh, let's just say that it's let's just say that it's someone that uh, like a colleague at work or an employee, like a staff member, like a direct report, uh, and they can see that they're struggling uh, with, and it seems like anxiety or emotions and the like as well. How can they approach, and they want to help out, right? Let's just assume mm-hmm. they've got positive intentions and they want to help out. Uh, what can they do? What can they do to help that person access the help that they actually need? I think, yeah, very similar sort of steps, but like really with the intention of, you know, I, I think having that conversation is really important, mm-hmm. but doing it in a way that's actually safe for them um, is especially important to so try not to make assumptions about like, this is something that I would like to be helped with, but actually like asking them in a safe environment, like whether that be like with less people around um, in a one-on-one setting in a space that like they don't really feel intimidated, especially like as a manager or as a parent, or if there are power dynamics, like trying mm-hmm. to minimize that as much as possible and just coming to them like as a person, just who you are um, and just asking them, Hey, I just noticed some things like, is there like, is, is this something, would you like to talk about it? Is there any way that I can help? Just asking those questions through a really compassionate lens. Mm-hmm. I don't think that it can really necessarily go wrong. Like worst case scenario, they just say, nah, I, I don't want you help. And that's totally fine. Like, mm-hmm. I think you've given them the agency and the space to know that, you know, you do care and that you do want to help. So if they change their mind at a later date, they can come to you. I think it's not like, yeah, I think the worst the worst thing you could possibly do is just think that like 
I'm I'm going to help this person and make that your your mm-hmm. objective, and trying to force them into a situation where you feel good about yourself helping them. Um, I think that's that's the worst thing. So just be able to be open that like this person might not want or need any of your help, and just ask them questions, keep asking. Um, and that that's it really. <laughs> yeah, cool, beautiful. Um, a final question for you then. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've obviously gone on a pretty big journey yourself from where you were uh, and what late 20s now i'm guessing yeah um even still what what advice would you do you wish that you could have given to your younger self or that someone would have given you when you were younger what do you wish that people would have said and helped you out with um so this is this is something that i used to frame like when i first got into advocacy around the age like 13 ish Mm -hmm. i wrote this like real big speech about like my experience and I used to end it with like um there are a couple of words that I wish I could say to my younger self um and if anyone else is listening to this and is struggling I'd really like to say to you as well and it's the fact that you are not too sensitive you're not over exaggerating and you are not alone I think those are just three things that I really wish that I heard when I was younger because I just felt like everything that I was experiencing I was just kind of making up or I was being a little bit too in my head about um and I didn't know that other people felt similarly to me but I think something that I've learned very much now particularly after speaking up and like being people being able to identify me as someone that you know they can relate to is that we really aren't alone with many of the human experiences that we go through that regardless of you know our financial status or where we come from where we work it's there are very human things that connect all of us and we all have things that We'll break our hearts and will make us so excited that we jump up and down. And I think if we accept those things about each other and just remain open and curious and learning about what those specific things are, then it can just make it so much more brighter and just instill so much hope into the way that we are. So to, to thank you. To, to summarize that point, as well as pretty much everything which was shared so far, is be more empathetic with yourself and with others have more awareness of what's coming up in your reactions to things which are showing up as well. And then just make sure that you're doing things which are in service for others and service to yourself. That's a, absolutely. That's, that's a beautiful message to end it on. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with the guests or with the audience? Honestly, I feel like you summarized my like massive rants in a really lovely way. So I'm very <laughs> appreciative. <laughs> Thank you, Emily. Wonderful to have you on. So I hope you received a whole lot of value from engaging in that conversation. What were the key takeaways for you? What can you schedule in your life right now to make sure that the time you just invested into listening to this exceptional conversation with this amazing mentor and this amazing individual is time that wasn't misused, but was time that you've allocated properly to enhancing your life and improving it. Whatever it is, schedule it now, practice it now, be the successful person you're meant to be, live with purpose.